why don't you grab your Bible, turn to uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, or if you want to do it like the Jews um, in, in Jerusalem, uh, Havakuk is the way they say it, like Havakuki. Um, uh, that's the way you say it, Havakuk. Um, but our text is somewhat famous, um, and it changed the world. Um, I think the whole Bible has changed the world, but this, this one changed the course of history. This little, this little phrase that's tucked away in a single verse in Habakkuk, and uh, we're gonna take a look at this little verse. It's chapter two, verse four. It says, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. This phrase changed the course of history in pretty radical ways. You gotta go back over 500 years ago, 539 years ago to be precise, November 10th, 1483. A coal miner there in Eiselben, Germany, and his wife gave birth to a baby boy um, the poor coal miner and his and um, his wife. Well, she was a homemaker, and um, they they just uh, you know were in such poverty. Uh, they wanted their son to surpass their uh, poverty, and so they decided to prepare him and uh, send him off to law school when he got old enough. And he he wanted to be better off than his parents, so he, he studied hard to be a lawyer, and did really well there in his schooling, but. A life-changing event happened to this young man as he was attending law school in 1504. He was caught in walking outside on the campus there of the college uh, during a massive uh, lightning and thunderstorm. I guess it was pretty dramatic. Have you ever been in a real lightning and thunderstorm? We Oregonians, I didn't realize this when I was a kid, but we don't even know what lightning and thunder is here in Oregon. Um, we think we do, but we don't. Uh, I've since traveled to some places where I've seen real crazy, you know in the movies where you see the scary movies and there's the flashes and they just keep flashing and, and it's just like the whole time. And I'm like, that's not real. It actually turns out that it is real. Uh, I went to Burkina Faso, Africa one time and got caught in a th thunderstorm that was crazy, crazy. Also in New Orleans, I was down in New Orleans once with the kids. We, were, we got to tour the New Orleans Saint facility uh, workout facility and stuff is kind of fun, but I'll never forget the lightning and thunderstorm that was right on top of your head. You thought, you know, you, you feel your hair stand up and the lightning sh shocking around you. And it, it was a shocking experience, but, but all that to say, um, that's this, this guy, he's, he's walking outside on the campus and this massive thunder and lightning storm so much that he's freaked out. He falls down on his knees and he cries out to St. Anne. Uh, the patron saint of coal miners there, um, in, you know, uh, in those days. Uh, and, and he promised that if he survived the storm, that he would become a monk. Well, a few minutes later, the storm ended and he kept his promise. This guy who was once wanting to be a lawyer, he ends up being a monk. And he goes there uh, dedicating his life to theology and becoming a doctor of theology at the University of Wittenberg. But although he was an expert in theology, he struggled with his relationship with God. In fact, he would write in his journals um, over and over again, if you read them historically, he would say, what can a man do to really have peace with God? That was his struggle. The idea of peace with God. And, and he knew that he was a sinner. And every time he sinned, he knew he couldn't have peace with God because of his sin. 
And so he'd struggle. And so he did what some people did in those days. He would sort of beat himself up literally. Um, he would deny himself when he knew he'd commit a sin. Like he was known to think a thought and then think, oh man, I sinned. So he had fast for 15 days. Uh, some of us would starve to death if we fasted 15 days every time we committed a sin. I think all of us would starve to death at that point. But this guy, he, he, when, he, when fasting didn't work, he started whipping his own back. Whoosh, whoosh, and, he'd, and he'd bloody and bruise his back, trying to sort of show God of his penance and trying to gain sort of God's approval or favor. He would go to the uh, father superior there of the uh, campus that he was on there, and he would go and confess his sins over and over, every little sin that he commit. Finally, the father superior was quoted as saying, uh, either go out and commit a sin that's worthy of confession or stop coming here so often. <laughs> like this guy was plagued, plagued with his sin. Well, as, as he um, wrestled with this, he started to um, realize that he wanted to do something more. And so he decided to make a pilgrimage to Rome uh, where the headquarters of the church was. And he would go on a radical journey. In fact, he, he actually would travel over the Alps on foot um, going over the, the, the mountain range there. He came down, but in his journey, he got feverishly sick. And when he reached the other side of the Alps, he uh, went in almost dead with fever into this monastery that was there. And those monks there at that monastery nursed him back to health. And he was there for a while just trying to recover from his fever. But while there, one of the monks that was there looked at this guy and said, man, you're struggling with God. You're looking for peace with God. And he said, yes. And he said, I want you to do this. Read the book of Habakkuk which is interesting. Why did this monk suggest that? Don't know. Uh, it is interesting that Habakkuk, his name, as we will see on Wednesday night, it means wrestler. He was a wrestler with God. And he wrestled about some issues with God about the Chaldeans. We'll get into that on Wednesday night. But, but interesting, this wrestler uh, that was at the monastery, he read through the book of Habakkuk, but the little phrase that we read that's our text this morning, the just shall live by his faith. It popped out to him. Have you ever read a scripture that just sort of stuck in your brain and pops out? You may not even know what it means. Well, that was the situation with this dude. He read it and he didn't know what it meant, but he, but he just kind of tucked it away thinking, man, the just shall live by faith. Well, he continued his pilgrimage there to Rome. He had a specific objective. Um, uh, he was making his way to the church of St. John where especially today, even but back in those days, there were all kinds of holy relics in Rome. There still is today. Um, and I gotta say, be careful on this, all the relics of religion. People get really into this, man. If you travel to Rome, you'll see people wiping stones with their hair and, and kissing things. You know, like if you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, you can kiss the toe of Peter. And so many millions of lips have touched those toes that his toe was kissed clean off after centuries of kisses. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. I wouldn't kiss it if my life depended on it. Um, but uh, did you know they actually replaced the toe of St. Peter? Because it got so worn down from kisses, they put another one on. I don't know if they put J.B. Weld on there or whatever, but whatever they did, it worked. Uh, and now you can go and the, the toe is a little worn down, but not anything like it once was. 
relics. Did you know during this time of this guy, they actually had, you know, vials of breast milk in a bottle put in a special box that was supposed to be Mary, the mother of Jesus's breast milk. And you could go and kiss the box that had the breast milk. They had locks of her hair, they say. Uh, and, And it gets weirder and weirder. In fact, when I went to Rome a few years ago, some of you were with us. We went to Rome and, and I, it was my first time to Rome. So I didn't really know, uh, you know, some of the places we're going, like I had to, like I was learning, it was my first time. And she said, oh, you have to see the, the you know, I forget the official name of it. It was like the Cathedral of the Three Fountains. I'm like, okay, sounds pretty. Let's go see the cathedral. Said, oh yes, it's glorious. So we went in there and it was a beautiful cathedral. It was beautiful grounds. And I was like, wow, what is this place? Well, she, she explained to our group. Um, now this is where they beheaded the apostle Paul. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know they know exactly where that happened, but okay. And she said, and when his head was uh, lopped off, his head fell from its body and bounced on the ground. And it bounced three times. And every time the head of, and, she, and we're all laughing, like, oh, this is hilarious. And she's like, no, I'm like, we, we didn't realize she was serious. Um, all the Anthony Creekers, we had to realize, I was like, shh. And she said the head bounced, and each time his head bounced, a fountain spurted out of the ground of water. And, um, and you go in there, and there's these three fountains coming out of the ground, bubbling out of the ground. And they're, they're about 50 feet apart, and there's like a shrine inside the cathedral built over each fountain. And I'm just like, what? They believe that Paul's head bounced, and every time it bounced? Now, I'm kind of a math guy, a little bit logical. I'm thinking, how fast does a head have to fly to bounce? <laughs> 50 feet apart. Like that's like 90 miles an hour, at least. Like <laughs> carry the one. Yeah, 90 miles an hour. It's like, come on, Brett. You shouldn't be that irreverent about something so holy. It's not holy. Um, it's false. It's just some weird relic of religion that people think is true that is not true. And they built a whole cathedral over this. Like it's really embarrassing some of the stuff that's going on there. But as it turns out, This guy was wanting to go to one of those relics. You see, there was a staircase in Rome there across the street from St. John's called uh, Scala Sancta. And I'll show you some pictures of this stuff in just a second. But um, the the, the stairway um, was claimed to have been in Jerusalem. It was the very stairway of Pontius Pilate's uh, Praetorium uh, where Jesus would go up those stairs after he was whipped with a flagellum. And, and drops of blood sprinkled on the stairway as he went up. Okay, Brad, I, I understand there might've been a stairway in Jerusalem. How did it get to Rome? Nobody really knows. A marble staircase uh, made it to Rome. And uh, uh, some people say it was Helena, the mother of Constantine, who um, you know, uh, transported this thing back to Rome or whatever, who knows? Uh, but uh, I'm just saying, probably not true either. Um, but all that, this scala sancta, as they call it, the holy stairs, um, it was this young man's desire to get closer to God. And the, the reason he went to this place is the staircase itself, what people would do is climb up on their knees um, and they would you know, kiss the, everywhere there was a drop of blood, they put a little uh, crystal mosaic on that part of the staircase and you could kiss that part where the blood, and as you climb up holy on your knees and you say a prayer every step, if you say a prayer every step and you climb up on your knees, um, as it turns out, you can pray and have one of your relatives that's in purgatory uh, have their time cut short because you went up the stairs on your knees praying and kissing and all that stuff. Brad, is that true? None of what I said is actually true. It's, it's, it's there, it's still there to this day. You can do it today, but it's not, it's not true. It's totally whacked. 
totally wacko. Bible says nothing of that stuff. And, and I don't think Jesus would want us to be doing that with stairs anyway. So what you say, well, Brad, what, what happened? Well, this guy, he goes there and he does this and he's thinking, I'm gonna find peace with God. And, and as he's climbing the stairways on his knees and kissing and whipping and you know, torturing himself and trying to find peace with God, about halfway up the stairs, he remembered Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. And he realized what it meant. The, the just or the justified person. Justification, the word just is a, it's a legal term, a, a courtroom term. It's not that you're forgiven of your sin, it's that it's just as if you never sinned at all, you're declared innocent of that crime. And, and suddenly this guy's, oh, the just shall live. Not just you know, be saved, but live by faith. And he stood up halfway through the stairway, he stood up from the stairs, turned around and walked down. And he went back to his hometown there um, uh, at Wittenberg, and started to study the scriptures himself to see what it said about this idea of justification by faith. And after that, he, he started saying, man, the church is off course. See, what happened is the church went through the centuries. Remember, it didn't take long for the church to get off course. Remember the seven churches Jesus addressed to Asia Minor there in the book of Revelation? It didn't take, even in the first century, Jesus would say stuff like, I know that you're doing good here and here, but I have this against you. He had against his church. In the first century, the church was off course. Can you imagine 300, 400 years down the road when the church started adopting weird traditions and heresy and crazy stuff? Um, and do you think Jesus has something against the church today? But this guy was realizing, man, the church teaches the just or the justified, they live by works and by doing and attending mass and, 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 and all kinds of weird things. And this guy realized there's all kinds of things. And so he wrote a list of things that he kind of, by reading scripture said, these things are off. And he came up with 95 of those and they're called the 95 Theses. And the man was named Martin Luther. And he was the guy who wrote the 95 Theses and he's the one who hammered them, clang, clang, clang. As, as he hits the door and puts this on the door, the people were shocked that somebody was bold to speak that the church was off course because the church at this time had become so powerful that nobody dared speak anything against the church of Jesus. Man, this Martin Luther in his little study there that you can actually go visit it today and look at his study, um, he wrestled with God there. In fact, there's a story about him that's uh, kind of famous where he was there studying and trying to figure out his relationship with God. And he, he perceived that Satan was in the room with him and he picked up his inkwell and threw it up against the stone, the, the concrete wall there and the ink splattered on the wall. And you could see the stain of his ink up until about hundred years ago, what would happen to it? It started to fade and also tourists came and chipped off pieces and put it in their pocket of Martin Luther's ink stain. Um, Brett, I was there last year and there's still an ink stain there. That's because they repainted it on there, just, just FYI. <laughs> you can look it up. Um, um, this is the Scala Sancta. This is the stairway in Rome that's there today. You can see it. Uh, you can climb the stairs up with your, with your, on your knees and you can kiss. If you look closer, all the stairs are worn out because people climbing them. And also those little mosaics of the droplets of blood. It's still there. There's stuff you can see. But Martin Luther, when he saw all this religious relic and all this crazy stuff, he said, man, the church is off course. And, and, and then the, one of the big problems of his day was the selling of these indulgences. Here's a, a 17th century paper. And the reason I show you this paper is that there's, you know, you can find millions of these around. 
the world, but because sometimes the Catholic Church says, we never sold indulgences and we never did that. Well, they actually did. Um, there's different sects of the Catholic Church that did or didn't, and you can make the big arguments, but there's a reason why there's very expensive, amazing buildings throughout history that the Catholic Church has erected around the world, and it had a lot to do with getting lots of money. And it was from the selling of these indulgences. And, and, and in, you know, in some way you could sort of, if you paid enough money, you could sort, short, shorten the time of someone in purgatory. Purgatory? What's that? Stuff that people made up. It's not in your Bible. Nowhere in the Bible do you read about purgatory or indulgences or the selling of that. Um, and Martin Luther called all this stuff out. Now, do you think the Catholic church at the time was really happy that there was some guy uh, making a bunch of noise about greedy selling of indulgences and stuff. Well, they were upset. So they called a council together to talk about what Martin Luther would hammer to the Wittenberg door there. And they called it the diet of worms. Now, some of you in Portlandia here are like, oh, is that like low carb, low fat, or is it like uh, uh, intermittent fasting? Like which one is the diet of worms? I bet you'd lose weight if you were on a diet of worms. I, I, I know I'd probably lose weight on that one. Um, but no, the word diet means council. The, the word worms, that was the place. It was a place called Worms. And so it was the council at Worms. And it was at that place, the leadership uh, at Wittenberg, they were not happy and they particularly didn't like the idea of Martin Luther cutting out the indulgences. Um, and so they tried him there. And in 1521, they accused him and, uh, as, as being a heretic. They excommunicated him from the church. Uh, it was very dangerous for Martin Luther at that time. Um, but the problem with the church at that time, they were shocked at how Martin Luther's information that he'd been writing was spreading like wildfire. How did it spread? Interesting, one of the major changes in the world was when the, the printing press was invented. The Gutenberg press, Martin Luther was able to print up some of the stuff that he had written and it started to be dispersed. It's almost like in my lifetime, I watched the internet become invented and suddenly we had the texting and email and social media and like communication w went crazy. In our lifetime, we've seen that. Before that happened, the big event was the printing press, the invention. Martin Luther was able to get his information out and he, he, he would declare the just shall live by faith, not by beating yourself not by praying or not by fasting or even attending mass or giving money. And the world caught what he was trying to say largely and the great reformation was launched. He wrote many works of theology. He wrote many hymns. One of the hymns you might know of Martin Luther's, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, he translated the whole Bible. That's pretty big work right there, somebody doing that, um, you know, from Latin. Because at that time, the Catholic Church, did you know they used to chain the Bible to the pulpit? And it was written in Latin, so the average dude couldn't read the Bible. That was for the priests. Uh, you couldn't trust the average layman to read the scripture. So they left it in Latin and they changed it to the pulpit. But it was Martin Luther and there were other guys like Tyndale and others throughout history that said, we gotta get Bibles in people's hands. So Martin Luther translated it from Latin into the Germanic languages. And by the way, um, people are stunned at his intellectual power that he possessed to do that, knowing Latin and Greek and was able to translate the Bible with, um, so even the German language today, it was influenced by Martin Luther's writing as it turns out. But what he did is he said, I'm gonna search the scriptures and see what the church is supposed to really be about. Because of that, 
He led the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you're a Catholic, you're saying, Brad, I don't like Martin Luther. Uh, he ruined everything. Well, actually, I think he got the church largely back on course, but we have to be careful because even the Protestant church can get off course really fast too. And we have, and we do. Martin Luther even got off course. Did you know that? I love that Martin Luther was great at saying, what does the Bible really say? But the sad thing is there were several things he did that he didn't look at the scriptures. Like for example, his, his, his understanding of God's plan and purpose for the Jewish people. Martin Luther somehow missed Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, where God says, I've got a plan for the Jews and they're all gonna be eventually saved. And, and Martin Luther wrote some of the worst anti-Semitic writings in the history of the world. Uh, Martin Luther, his writings were quoted by Adolf Hitler when Hitler said, we're gonna exterminate the Jews. So I'm not saying Martin Luther is Superman or anything like that, but I am thankful for what he did in the Reformation when he realized justification comes by faith. And he uh, changed the direction, what I think was a major course correction, maybe one of the biggest events that happened in modern history, the Reformation of the church. Well, you say, Brett, well, we don't care about Martin Luther. Oh, but this is where this verse, I wonder if God put this verse in Habakkuk just for this reason to get in, you know, in the 1500s to get the church back on course. And, and really it's, it's something we should be careful with because Martin Luther grappled with the issue uh, at hand and it was an important issue. He was really dealing with two major important topics. Number one, how are you saved? Number two, how do you stay saved? Those were the two things that Martin Luther was saying, well, this is important. Because at that time, you kind of had to say, well, man, you gotta go to mass, you gotta pay indulgences, you might go to purgatory, um, none of which is in the Bible. I always like to challenge people, find it in the scripture. See what the Bible really says. Um, but when Martin Luther went back to Wittenberg, what were the scriptures that he focused on and started realizing, wow, we've missed it. Now, some of you might say, yeah, Brett, why did, they, why did they so blindly follow the church leadership? Why didn't they read the Bible more? And the answer, they didn't have Bibles. Nobody was reading the Bible back then. Um, and except for the Catholic church leaders, they had their Latin, you know, Vulgate or whatever, and they were able to read, but they, they neglected the issues of salvation through faith by God's good grace. So when Martin Luther got the scriptures and started studying them, he, he dealt with these two issues. How are you saved and how do you stay saved? Um, if you ask that question yourself, how would you answer that right now? That's a good question for you to know. It's also a good litmus test if you wanna find out what church is a cult versus what church is true or false. You can just ask this question. If you are saved by, you know, um, wearing a metal triangle on your head, finding the third eye of understanding and thinking of uh, thoughts of, you know, nothingness and finding the, your, you know, navel and lighting the third eye of understanding candle or whatever you're doing, you can, you can say, well, that person really doesn't know what salvation is because the Bible doesn't say anything about all that stuff. Um, I'll show you what I mean. What were the scriptures Martin Luther looked at? Well, it had a lot to do with this just, the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter one, verses 15 and 17. You can write this down in your notes. Paul the apostle said, so as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, 
to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. There it is, Paul is quoting from Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. And Paul made this argument over and over and over again in his epistles. Um, and there's a reason why he made such a deal of that. We'll talk about that in a second. But I love that he said, for the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. It's not you're giving money or you're attending a church or um, you know, uh, whipping your back or you know, giving to poor people. That's not how you're saved. People still get this confused that being obedient to God's word is how you're saved. That's not really it. Um, it's actually faith and faith alone that saves you. The just shall live by faith. Notice the phrase before that. It says here, from faith to faith. What's that all about? That's what the King James says there. But um, if you look at the New International Version of verse 17 there, it says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is, and here it is, by faith from first to last. The King James says from faith to faith. NIV says by faith from first to last. What's that saying? It's saying it's the beginning and the ending and everything in between. In other words, it's not that you start with faith and end with works. The whole thing is faith. From beginning and from faith to faith, from the first to the last, the just shall live or the righteous shall live by faith. Quoting from Habakkuk. You see, this is important, you guys. Nothing you can do to add to the salvation God offers to you. You're saved by God's grace through faith, not of your works. The Bible says that, read Ephesians 2.8. It's very, very clear. The, the just shall live by faith. Um, the Galatian church, by the way, the Galatians, they were making a big mistake. They were starting to allow these people to come in and cause problems with this notion of are you saved by faith or are you saved by works? They were called Judaizers. Now, I've studied these Judaizers for a long time and I used to think they were Jews trying to make the new Christian church in, in Galatia um, sort of more like Jews. That's what I used to think. But the more I've looked into it, I'm realizing it maybe was some Jews, but it was actually mostly Gentiles who had in the early church thought, well, we gotta become believers, so we need to be like Jews. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but we also need to be circumcised. We gotta celebrate the, the festivals and the feasts and the new moons and the Sabbaths. We gotta start keeping the laws of the Jews. And they, they were really into this. And they started to be a problem. They went around saying, hey, are you circumcised? Can you imagine that in the church today if people were walking around, uh, drop the drawers. Are you circumcised? That's what was going on. These weirdos were running around saying, are you circumcised? Because you better be. Um, can you imagine you, you guys, if, if becoming a Christian, you know, it's like, do you want to accept Jesus? You're like, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. You're like, uh, wait, <laughs> Allah Akbar, I want to become a Muslim instead. Uh, like, like, that would not be a fun choice. Well, that's what was going on. These young Christian dudes are like, what? You want us to be circumcised? Um, and Paul, he's gonna, that, that's largely what the book of, of Galatians is about. The Judaizers that were putting this burden and causing a problem saying, yeah, it's nice that you love Jesus and all and have faith, but that's not enough. There's more. Here's what you need to do to really be saved. And one of the things that was circumcision. 
Would you flip over to Galatians with me? Turn to Galatians chapter one. Let me, let's, let's do a little galloping through Galatians real quick. Because this book really nails it down, this topic that Martin Luther was trying to deal with, whether it's circumcision of the early church or you know, climbing upstairs or whipping your back or doing stuff where you're somehow getting in favor with God, total waste of time. And Martin Luther realized that when he started reading stuff like Galatians chapter one, um, look at verses six through nine. Galatians one, six through nine. He says this, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Remember, we're talking about the Judaizers who are saying, you gotta be circumcised. That's not a gospel. That, is it good news, especially you guys, is it good news to, to say, yeah, I wanna be saved and you gotta be circumcised? That's not good news. So he's saying, it's not a gospel. Um, verse, uh, verse seven says, it's not another, but there's some that wanna pervert the gospel of Christ. But verse eight, though we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Paul's doing damage control here. The early church, they realize, wow, you're saved by Jesus and the work of the cross. And when you accept Christ, you're saved by faith, believing. And by the way, there was nothing new there. Uh, even Abraham of the Old Testament, how was he saved? Anybody remember? By faith. by faith. Remember it says, Abraham believed God, so it counted unto him for righteousness. And guess what? Even after he believed God, he sinned a whole bunch. Uh, slept with Hagar and gave birth to uh, Ishmael and did all kinds of, called Sarah his sister when it was really his wife, uh, like lied through his teeth. He sinned even after he was declared righteous by God. But that's not, he didn't lose his salvation, did he? Even though he was a sinner and messed up all through his life. He messed up all kinds of times. The reason Abraham was declared righteous is because he believed God by faith. He was justified by faith. Well, so too, Paul says, man, you Galatians, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel of grace and to another gospel. It's not, not even really a gospel. It's like fake gospel. And then he makes it clear, he says, listen, if we come and give you another gospel or if an angel from heaven comes and gives you another gospel, let that person, let that angel be accursed, he says. So what do you do? If you're a guy, you say goodbye to your 27 wives and then you go off into the woods or whatever and suddenly an angel shows up and says, I am Moroni and I have spectacles for you and plates and a whole nother testament, a whole nother gospel. What's, what's your job if you read the book of Galatians? What, is you, what are you supposed to do at that point? Do you say, wow, a new religion, I'm gonna write a new book that's gonna add to the Bible? Or do you say, listen, you're, you're, you're giving me another gospel, another testament? You're accursed, according to Galatians 1, six or nine. Now, some of you were saying, Brad, you shouldn't say that about our Mormon friends. It's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, an angel uh, that was a poser came and gave Joseph Smith wrong information. Brett, who are you to say that? It's not just me. Have you ever wondered? I love my Mormon friends and I, I, I'm so saddened because Mormonism has become very slippery. In the last 20 years, I've watched them change their doctrines 
and they're trying to become like us as much as they possibly can. And, and a lot of Mormons say, yeah, we're, part, we're Christians just like you are. And why is the whole Christian church, anybody who knows any doctrine at all, and there's a reason the whole Christian church has not accepted Mormonism. Is it because we're just mean and we don't like Mormons? No. It's because we're sticking to what the Bible actually says. That's why Mormonism is not, they believe in a different Jesus. I believe in Jesus who's the son of God, not the brother of Satan. Um, that's the problem, that's the problem. Now, if you're a Mormon and you're watching this, say, Brett, that's not what Mormons believe. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, read the doctrines of the covenants I have and other, the other writings of the Mormon faith and their doctrine has changed 3,000 times since the beginning of Mormonism. Uh, but I'm just telling you, if you think that, that Mormonism is exactly like Christianity, uh, it's so misguided and so sad. I like Mormon people. They're some of the nicest people I know but they listened to an angel that gave another gospel. Remember in the 80s and 90s, you that are old enough, remember the Mormon commercials that were on TV? They were always so well done. They were amazing, it made you cry. Just 30 second commercial, like, oh, that's so touching. And then it say, the Book of Mormon, another gospel, another testament. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't even believe they're admitting that it's another testament, another gospel. Because Paul said, if somebody comes to you giving you another gospel, that angel is accursed, or that person, that preacher, that pastor, is accursed. So when I drive by Lake Oswego, the white cathedral there near Cruiseway, and I cruise by that temple and I see the golden statue of Moroni up at top, I say, you are accursed, buddy, uh, because that's what Galatians chapter one, verse six through nine says. So a great thing for you and I to have is a tool here to say, man, if there's another gospel, run for your life. That's not a gospel, it's fake. It's false. And Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Then fast forward, go to chapter 2, verse 16 of Galatians, where it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Justification is what you and I need. We're all sinners, we all fall short, we need to be declared righteous. And there's only one way for that to happen, by faith, through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. The just shall live by faith. Paul's making this point and hammering it home. Go to chapter three, Galatians chapter three, verse one. He says, and he's getting a little more you know, pointed. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. He says, I got like one question I wanna ask you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Remember what Paul said? He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what he's referring to here. So he's saying, did you, did you get saved and filled with the spirit by keeping good laws? or by the hearing of faith? The answer is rhetorical, uh, yes, of course, by the hearing of faith. But he says, verse three, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, he's saying, man, you, you were saved by God's grace through faith. Can you improve upon that by circumcising yourself? Of course not, he's saying. Like Paul's having to make this really heavy argument. And he even says, you guys are so foolish. And it is foolish to try to add to what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why a, a, a number one sign of a cult 
is, to, is for them to say, yeah, great for you. You believe in Jesus and by faith, yeah, yeah, yeah. But wait, there's more. You need to believe in Jesus and, and as soon as they put the and on there, you're off course. Even good stuff like this, for example, you need, if you wanna be saved by God's grace, you gotta be saved, you gotta believe, but you also need to be baptized. Now don't get me wrong, we baptize more people here at Athey Creek than any other church I know around here. Like we're constantly baptizing because that's something you do, listen, to be obedient to God's word. But are you saved? Is that what makes you go to heaven? Because well, I got dunked in the river and so I was baptized, so that's why I'm going to heaven. No. When you get baptized in the river, you're acknowledging what God has done miraculously saving you by his grace through faith. It's an outward sign of what God has already done inwardly in your life. Crucified with Christ, buried old man left in the river, new creation as you come out. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. Baptism is essential if you're obedient to God. You need to be baptized. But it's not what saves. We're saved by grace through faith. Do you see the difference? People get really confused about being obedient versus being saved. Those are two separate issues. Everybody likes to confuse those. Oh, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Well, what do you tell the thief on the cross? There's Jesus hanging on the cross. One thief doesn't believe. The other starts to acknowledge, yeah, I believe. And, and would you remember me? And Jesus said, today we got to get off the cross and go get baptized so you can be saved. Jesus comes off the cross and, the, and they go down, dunk in the river, back up on the cross. Okay, now you can die because now we got you baptized. Whew. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he was saved by faith, by believing right there as he hung on the cross. And what's so amazing about that, that dude never did one good thing in his life except for say, I believe, and bling, he saved. He didn't do one work. Uh, he, he did a bunch of bad stuff. That's why he was hanging on a cross. He was a thief. But as it turns out, the Lord says, I'll save you because that's what salvation is, by, his, by faith. He saves us by his grace through faith. So Galatians 3 is like, oh, foolish Galatians. He's like, you guys have totally got off course by adding to what saves. Uh, fast forward uh, to chapter three, verse 10. He says there in verse 10, he says, um, in Galatians 3.10, he says, uh, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. You see that? Romans, or Galatians 3.11, again, Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Um, this is a big verse in the Bible. He's quoted three times. Habakkuk's quoted three times in the New Testament. This is one of them. Galatians 3, 11. Um, and, and so the point is, again, he's saying the just shall live by faith. He says, man, you, you know, those of you that are under the works of the law, you're cursed. Why would anybody be cursed if they said, I'll keep the law of the Old Testament? Why are you cursed? Anybody? You can't keep them. Do I need to show you again my list of 613 laws um, given to us by Moses in the Old Testament? I'm sure you memorized them last time I showed it up here. Um, had to do a little bit of fine print because there's a lot of them. But guess what? There's been a lot of people through the ages who've tried to keep those 613 laws and no one was successful, not even one except for Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to perfectly fulfill the law. So Paul's saying, no one was ever saved by keeping this. No one was. He says, the law uh, just dooms us. But um, he says in verse 11, he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now fast forward to Galatians 3, verse 21. Now we read this a few weeks ago, if you recall. It says, is the law against the promise of God? In other words, does that mean that the law that we just showed you is against God? No, he says, God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been given by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. We've all sinned. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Remember I talked about Mr. Alexander, my teacher, the schoolmaster, how he drove us to do the right thing. Well, that's what the, the law does. It drives us to God's good grace. Um, but we go further still in chapter five, verse one. Flip the page to Galatians 5, one. He exhorts them, the church at Galatians saying this, stand fast therewith in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. They were, they were, that was the problem with the Galatian church. They were getting entangled back with the laws, circumcision and the keeping of feasts and festivals and, and all the sacrificial system. They were trying to bring those back into the church. He says, but stand fast in the liberty. Verse two, behold, um, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. In other words, one of the blessings of Christ is you don't need to be circumcised. Um, verse three, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Remember what James said? He's echoing Paul here. When James said, if you're gonna keep one point of the law, you have to what? Keep all points of the law. So he says, man, you can be circumcised, but good luck. You have to do all the other 612 laws that you've yet to do. He says, man, uh, and he says, verse four, Christ has become no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith with which worketh by love. The love of God says, if you believe by faith, you'll be saved by grace. Don't complicate it, he says. Don't go back to the laws and the rules and all those regulations. Now fast forward, we're almost done with Galatians here, but Galatians 5 verse 10. He starts getting fiery here now. You're gonna miss it in the King Jimmy here, but I'll tell you what we're missing. Um, in Galatians 5.10, he says, I have confidence in you, Galatian church, uh, through the Lord, that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you, who was the person troubling? The Judaizers saying, you gotta keep the festivals and you better be circumcised. He says, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. Verse 11, and I, brethren, if, you, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Verse 12, I would that they 
were even cut off, which trouble you. Now that's the King James cleaning everything up, making it all, oh yeah, they're cut off from the church, right? Or cut off from socialization or cut off from being friendly. Nope, the, the Greek word there um, is the word castration. Do you hear what Paul just said? Like this is in the Bible. You're like, is this? Yeah, you didn't color this in Sunday school, okay? <laughs> this is the part that you know, mom didn't teach you as a nighttime Bible story. Um, Paul said, I would that you, see, remember they're saying, you need to be circumcised. That cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh that was Abrahamic, that was a Jewish thing of the Old Testament. He says, yeah, you know, you guys are pushing that. I would that you be, and he takes it a whole nother step. I would that you Judaizers be castrated. Paul didn't pull any punches, by the way, in his, in his words. When he, he, when he got fired up, man, you better watch out. Paul is saying these guys are troubling the church. And who were they? They were the ones adding to God's grace through faith, being saved by grace through faith. Paul had strong, strong words to say about these people. Now, this raises some interesting questions. Are you a legalist going around saying, if you really wanna be saved, you gotta do A, B, C, or D. Don't do that. The question is, are you, do you wanna be saved? You have to say, do you accept by faith salvation from God? It's that, that simple. Yeah, but Brett, you're preaching a cheap grace. You're just saying that a person can go and sin as much as they want and still be saved. Well, the truth is I'm gonna admit that, yes. Are you kidding, Brett? We can go sin as much as we want? Um, yeah, you can also pour acid in your eyeballs if you want to. Um, like, like, here's the thing. Salvation is through grace, through faith. Obedience after you're saved, well, that's when God says, hey, you're my children now. I want you to obey my word. You're not obeying God so that you can be saved. You're obeying God because you're saved. So when James says faith without works is dead, he's saying that, man, a, a true child of God is gonna want to obey God, but are we gonna get it 100%? Are we gonna be perfect from that day forward? Of course not. No one has ever saved and then been perfect from that day forward. So what's the deal here? You gotta be careful on this. And I've seen in my life as a Christian, I've seen these uh, phases come and go. Are you a sin sniffer? Are you a fault finder in the church? Are you an iniquity inquisitor? I know people like that. I remember when I was a kid, there was a movement in the church. We kind of went in this hippie movement thing of Jesus moving to the 70s. And um, I remember there was a thing in the church, if a woman wears makeup, she's not really a Christian. And there was a thing like that. I love how J. Vernon McGee put it down. He said, if a barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> and they asked him about women wearing makeup and stuff like that. I, okay. But there was a movement like that. Also, maybe you've been to churches. Well, if you wear a skirt that's a little bit above the knee, you're not really a Christian. That's the sin sniffer, fault finder. Um, none of those behavioral things dictate whether a person's saved or not. A person is saved by faith, period. Paul makes the point. That's why Martin Luther had to change the direction using scripture to say, what does the Bible really say about this? And he came out saying, we're just by faith. Justification comes through faith. And some people would say, well, but that's just a cheap grace. No, it was a very costly and expensive grace. God sent his son dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And he died once for all sin, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. 
So we are saved by God's grace through faith. Obedience is the result of a person who's saved, not an indication of whether they're saved or not. We have to be careful on that one. Um, you know, some people say, well, Brett, you're licensing people to sin. I'm not, I'm just telling you, if you've been at Athey Creek for very long, you know, we talk about sin as much as anybody. What the, what the Bible says about the do's and the don'ts. But let's not confuse what saves you, that's God's grace through faith. But what we should be doing, well, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you have kids, I remember when my kids, we lived in a place there in Sherwood across from Archer Glen Elementary when my kids were there at Archer Glen's where they went to school. But we lived across the street in a little cul-de-sac and, um, and it, the cul-de-sac was pretty safe. Nobody ever drove in there, but if you went outside of the cul-de-sac, there was a lot of cars zipping by. And so we put a line there and said, okay, kids, um, you can ride your bikes in the cul-de-sac, but you can't go out in that road there. And we, we even had a line, there's a mailbox. You can't go past this mailbox and you can't go back past this tree. There's an invisible line. If you cross it, there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what we taught our kids. Debbie and I were upstairs looking out the window and the kids were all dutifully riding. In the, but, but we noticed Joey. I know that shocks many of you. We noticed Joey starting to ride his bike just a little bit out, just pushing the, like right on the edge. He'd, he'd almost like go around the circle and then he'd ride the line. And then he'd come back around, just round and round. And he'd go, but sure enough, one time we saw him kind of look this way and look that way. And he'd go out in the road and then back into the cul-de-sac. So what did I do at that moment? I, I went out and said, Joey, you are dead to me. I disown you. You no longer called my son. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Um, you, you'd say, well, Brett, that's, that's not a good father, right? Is that what God does when you go out, outside of the boundaries of sin? Does he disown you? Did you lose your salvation? Are you going to hell because of that? No, um, that's called disobedience. And guess what? Lord still loves us, just like I still loved my son. I, I did discipline and correct him. And I said, Joey, because you've crossed this line, I'm gonna correct you because I don't want, see, it wasn't that I was trying to be a cosmic killjoy for Joe. I was not wanting to get run over by some you know, kid zipping through in his car without looking and where, where it was or whatever. I, I wanted him to be safe. That's what sin is. Sin is not you know, bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. That's the thing. So we get this all mixed up. We think, oh, because a person's sinning, they must not really be saved. No, it's not linked to your salvation. Salvation is through faith. The just shall live by faith. That's what Martin Luther figured out. But then once you're saved, obedience is what we're supposed to do. Why? Because sin messes you up. You could go after church and go get drunk, even though the Bible calls drunkenness a sin. Um, and so why shouldn't you do that? Because you'll lose your salvation. Nope, you'll go get drunk and you still probably be saved. and It's all good to go. Well, then I'm gonna go get drunk. Well, that's not very smart because the Bible says it's sin. And because the Bible says it's sin, that means it's bad for you and God knows what's best. And drunkenness is not gonna be something that's helpful to you. It's gonna hurt you. That's what Paul was saying, wasn't it? When he said, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's profitable. That's what the Bible teaches about sin. So yeah, sin, we should run from it. We should abstain from sinful behaviors but that's not what saves you. You're saved because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The ones that you've committed, the ones you're committing, and the ones you've yet to commit, Jesus died once for all of those. That's how we're saved. That's what happened with Martin Luther. That's why the Reformation was such a big deal. 
In some ways, I almost wonder if we need another reformation today in the church of Jesus Christ to be reminded of what's important. Um, I'm so thankful. You know, one of the great things about um, the Bible is, is it, it, you know, expositional constancy. What's that? It's just that the whole Bible teaches this. And it's, and it's funny how we miss it. That's why Paul's like, are you so foolish? Are you kidding me? Like, for example, Lot. I call him loser Lot because Lot was a loser. Remember Lot, you know, think about the things Lot did. Um, you know, he chose to live in the wicked city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Je Genesis 13. He offered his two virgin daughters to an angry mob of homosexuals, Genesis 19, five through eight. Um, later, his daughters get him drunk in a cave and have sexual incestuous relationships with their father and gave birth to two baby boys. You didn't color that one in Sunday school either. And those two baby boys, Ammon, and Moab became two of the worst enemies of Israel in Israel's history. The Ammonites and the Moabites came from Lot's incestuous relationship with his own daughters. So when I read the story of the Old Testament of Lot, what a loser. Well, Brett, he, he did leave Sodom. No, he didn't. He didn't leave. The angel said leave and he didn't. And it says, while Lot lingered, the angel picked him up and put him outside of the city. That's when he said, now run for your life. And so they all ran and said, hey, don't look back. And remember Lot's wife looked back, salt seeker situation there and, and um, Lot's running. And that's when the whole cave incident happened. Horrible, horrible dude Lot was. You say, well, Brett, that's encouraging. Why do you like that story so much? I like that story because of what second Peter, Peter the apostle says this, he delivered just Lot. The word just there is the just shall live by faith. Justification or righteous is another way you could say that. He delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man, what's he called? A righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. Three times in this section of scripture, Lot is called righteous. Just, righteous, and righteous. That's amazing because I don't see one shred of righteousness in him. Um, why does the Bible call Lot in the New Testament? Why does Peter call Lot justified or righteous? Because the just shall live by faith. Lot didn't do one good thing in his life. But the Lord says he, he believed, so he was counted as righteous. That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of our works. Be careful on this one. I think, you know, uh, St. Augustine perhaps summed it up really brilliantly, if you ask me, he said this, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. That's a good word. You see, that's what a Christian really is, a person who's saved by God's grace, who says, I don't wanna go down and get drunk and sleep around and, and do sinful stuff and do things that are contrary to God because look at the love that God gave me and he saved me by his grace through faith. And man, we can rejoice that we have heaven to look forward to, not because of our good works, but because he did the work of the cross. And that's the good news. That's why Paul says, oh, don't be removed from the true gospel to another gospel. It's not a gospel at all. As soon as a group, ministry, pastor, church says, yeah, you believe in Jesus and as soon as the end is there, whoosh, you gotta cut it off and say, nope, that's not what constitutes salvation. How are you saved? By faith. How do you stay saved? By faith, the end. That's the important truth. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the spirit would remind the church today. And so Lord, I pray that as these, your people go from this place, 
that you'd fill them with joy, knowing we're saved by grace through faith. Lord, that's a huge thing that we so much take for granted. Maybe something that we rejoice in today. Bless each person. Lord, may we be salt and light in this dark world this week, we pray as we go from church in Jesus' name. Amen.